This is a bonus episode of 12 Songs of Christmas. I'm Alex Rawls, and I'm back in your podcast feed early this week with another crossover episode, this time with my friends at the Ranking the Beatles podcast. Since Ranking the Beatles songs is their thing, we got together last year to rank the Beatles' yearly fan club releases at Christmas time. I'll put a link to that episode in the show notes, but it was so much fun we decided to do another one this year, this time ranking the Christmas music the Beatles recorded after the band split up. Last year, Jonathan Priedis and his wife and co-host Julia joined me. This year, it's just Jonathan, for reasons he will explain. Anyway, we'll get to this year's 12 songs, Ranking the Beatles crossover episode, after a word from Carflows. Carflows sells reusable, removable fabric stickers for your car. Here in New Orleans, costuming is a way of life, and people look for occasions to dress up not only at Mardi Gras and Halloween. CarFloats believes you ought to be able to dress up your car to match your mood or the season too. They have designs suitable for the upcoming holidays, but also ones that simply reflect your personal sense of style and whimsy. For Halloween, I had ghosts on my car. Now that Christmas is upon us, I'm rocking ornaments. My daughter helps me put them on and loves doing it. You can peel them off, put them back on their paper backing, and then store them until you're ready to use them again and so far, my daughter's less interested in that part. Want to see what you can do for your car? Visit CarFloats at car-floats.com. Put 12 songs, the number 12, the word songs, as one word in the promo box at checkout. Get 25% off your first purchase. CarFloats are art in motion. This time last year, I, we, I did a crossover with Ranking the Beatles podcast with Jonathan Priedis and Julia Priedis, who ranked the Beatles. And normally they go through the Beatles songs from Jonathan's least favorite to favorite. What number are you, are you on right now? Uh, we just released 153 today, Wow! I believe. Cool. Yeah. What was uh, it? 223. It was a yellow submarine, which I've gotten a little flack about today. People think it's a little low. Uh, Some people think it should be at 223 because it's the worst thing they've done. (laughs) Uh, Some people, some people think it should be, you know, top 50 because it's a classic and they love it. Uh, You know, we're getting to that territory of like the takes get a little bit hotter. Yeah. You know, (laughs) as you get to kind of like the more meat and potatoes and like more, I guess, uh, heady songs that have a bit more you know uh legacy or or weight to them right yeah i'll take i'll take the heat it's fine sure and so anyway and last year this time to we found our we found our shared space on the beatles fan club releases and Mm -hmm. last year i took jonathan's job and i ranked them and i made him and julia respond to my rankings so this year as turnabout, we are going to go into the Beatles post-Beatles Christmas music. And in the spirit of fair play, I'm going to let Jonathan drive this week and let him also uh, choose the ranking. And I will be the one to go, what are you, crazy? <laughs> <laughs> fair enough. I, I, I will take that uh, that wonderful Christmas present that you've given me. <laughs> so, um, oh, And I should ask, where's Julia today? 
Julia today is a little bit beetled out after spending uh, at minimum eight hours watching Get Back over the last few days and then talking about it for roughly six hours on our podcast and a couple of other podcasts that we've uh, guested on. Uh, and being that, you know, I am the, you know, self-proclaimed hardcore nerd fan and she is the casual fan. I think she hit the limit of the casual fan, <laughs> which I mean, she went way further than I would have expected. Uh, I still yeah. haven't gotten her to watch the Beatles anthology, which is also <laughs> eight hours long, but I think, you know, now we've established precedence. I think I can get her into this now. So, uh, so we'll see. I, yeah. I, I have to say, I, I respect that because <laughs> I'm only, I'm only through the first episode mm-hmm. and uh, partly because I have other things I had to get done. Uh, being, sure. being a, Beatles are your thing. Christmas, Christmas is my thing. And so right. I have a lot of Christmas related projects I'm working on at the moment, but I found the first episode at about the hour mark. I was like, okay, I got it. I got it. I got to take a break. <laughs> and, uh, so the, uh, so got back in and, you know, and, and second hour was, wasn't quite as exhausting. We didn't do, mm-hmm. you know, so I, and I will go back I will finish it. I, I'm interested in it and enjoying it. And I'm sure, I'm sure because it's so fresh, it will end up factoring into kind of our conversation a bit today, but sure. I have to say, yeah. I appreciate, I, I recognize the uh, the work on Julia's part to uh, to make it through <laughs> some of the pokier sections and sections where you just that just are just cringe inducing. Uh, yeah, well, it was funny because there was a part kind of early on when they're just in this kind of like circular discussion slash quasi argument that's going nowhere, uh, where she just turns to me and goes. This is every time I've ever gone to the recording studio with you <laughs> when you've made a record. What is the big deal about this? Aside from the fact that these guys are like the biggest thing in the world, um, this is no different than any other recording session I've ever seen. Yeah. And I kind of had that feeling too of like, yeah, this seems wholly normal for making a record. Um, except that you've got maybe four of the biggest egos in the world also at play. Um, but yeah. It's a lot. It's a lot to take in. It, it does uh, get a little more, I don't want to say sunny, but uh, the action does pick up once they leave the Twickenham Studios for sure. Right. And uh, yeah, I'll definitely be rewatching it, you know, at least three more times before the year is over. I'm ah, sure. Ah, 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 I've just got to find the time to do it. So. Right. All right. Well, let's get started here. So we're going to okay. Beatles post uh, Beatles post Beatles Christmas records. Yes. What is so, your number five? So there's not a ton to, to choose from here. Um, you know, you've got a couple of the classics uh, and then you get to, after those couple of classics, you get immediately to the lesser known territory. Um, but starting at number five is a track from Ringo Starr's Christmas album that admittedly I didn't really know existed until maybe like a year ago. Um, because it's kind of insignificant in terms of all that. Uh, But the album is called I Want to Be Santa, and at number five is his remake of the Beatles' fan club Christmas song, Christmas Time is Here Again. we 
All right. So I rank Christmas time is here again fairly high compared to what most people would think on ranking the Beatles. Um, some people don't even consider it a real song because it's just kind of this chanting mantra on this little flexi seven inch that's only released uh, to fan club members. Um, but there's something about it for me that has this really cool vibe of this kind of, it's, it's fun. They're carefree. It's kind of experimental. Like it sounds really good. But when Ringo redoes this for some time, for some reason, I think in 98, it retains none of the joyful qualities of the original. Uh, I don't know why Ringo in his solo career, not that he was ever like the world's greatest singer, but he's really just kind of stuck on this singing everything in the lowest possible register he can do while staying in tune. Um, so there's no energy in the vocal. Uh, the recording is super clean. I think, um, oh God, what's his buddy? Uh, I think Joe Walsh is on there. Um, I think actually Joe Perry's on it too. And like, you couldn't tell cause it just sounds like clinically clean guitars. Um, at some point, you know, he's like, you know, sing it for me, sing it for Mark. Who's like Mark Hudson, the producer. And he's like, sing it for Jesus. Jesus loves you. Uh, and like, uh. it, it's just weird and kind of off-putting. Um, and it's incredibly long for yes. like the Beatles version, you know, the released version at least goes, you know, three minutes and then, or maybe a couple, maybe two minutes and then fades into like their little greetings and then it's done. Ringo's version goes on for like five minutes and yeah. like, they kind of like vamp on the chorus a little bit and like spell out Christmas and it just, it loses its necessity about 90 seconds in. Yeah. Um, and there's just, there's no charm to it. It barely feels Christmassy. And it was the kind of thing where I, I just, there was no reason for him to do that other, other than just, I think he thought it would be a good tie in for the product. Yeah. So wholly disappointed in that, in that remake of that song. Yeah. I, I find I, I am with it for about the first minute, which is basically what showed up in the, the Beatles fan club recording. And, right. but there comes a point about two minutes in where Ringo has run out of ways to phrase this thought, ways to phrase it yeah. <laughs> that has, has any creativity. And you, you could almost hear him look at his watch and say, Oh man, I got three more minutes of this. Um, why is this, why did we make this track so long? Guys? Yeah. So <laughs> can we cut this down in Pro Tools? <laughs> yeah. It, you know, I, I'm with you though. Part of it I think might be the beauty of that fan of that original version that was cut for the fan club was that, it's got a very, it's very much of the sort of uh, Strawberry Fields era sonically. And yeah. so it's like, it is so sonically magic. Yeah. I, I'm there. And when, when we talked about it, we all said, I would listen to that song if it were three minutes long. I, I now think, no, I wouldn't. Um, <laughs> but the beauty of that, of that at one minute is that you so want more. Um, yeah. After hearing Ringo's, you so don't want any more at all, uh, because it becomes clear how little there is. Um, yeah. I'll tell you here that if you want that, um, from my side of the coin, if you want to check something interesting and you haven't heard it, have you heard Spoon's version? I have not. No. Spoon just released a released a version of the song as a Spotify uh, Christmas single. Oh, cool! And it's really good. Um, yeah. they face, they face the exact same challenges because it really is barely a song. 
it is yeah. Christmas time is here again. I think there's like there's basically one line. It's kind of a walk up or a walk down, and then back to the, the Christmas time is yeah. here again. And there's at some point there's a segment about O U T spells out. Yep. But it's it. literally just we have little ways to interrupt. Christmas time is here again. Christmas time is here again. Um, they figure out how to restructure that a little and to make the repetitiveness less obvious. They insert a guitar solo, which I didn't argue with. Um, and rather than have one thing about Ringo's version that kind of makes me crazy is there's just a big Paisley wash over everything. Um, Mm -hmm. and in this case, there are psychedelic touches that all that remind you that it's a little weird, a little, you know, and, and sort of signify the psychedelic elements without making it be constant and eventually becoming wallpaper. Um, and kind of as a cool moment so that, so obviously I'm reviewing the spoon version because I'm so much more interested in it than I am Ringo. So (laughs) that's a tell, but there's also moments near the end of, uh, found audio uh, or seemingly found audio dropped in that also kind of recalls the fan club releases. And mm-hmm. it, it does that too well to not be intentional. So there's a lot of sort of smart choices made that address the problems that Ringo did not. So yeah. it's too bad. Ringo's one of the guys, a- a- after watching Let Get Back, you know, you just watch him sort of hangdog his way through the whole thing and you think, that is one patient dude. And, yeah, he's uh, the most patient guy. <laughs> <laughs> and I have to say, in the last year on the show, I interviewed uh, Steve Lukather, uh, mm-hmm. the guitarist from Toto, who has yep. also recorded with uh, Ringo. They're tight. Yeah, he's, I th- isn't he in Ringo's All-Star yes. Band he's now? in Ringo's yeah. All-Star Band. And yeah. he spent 10 minutes telling me about his love of Ringo and what a great dude Ringo is, which was so good to hear. And I, you know, and I kind of give Ringo every benefit of the doubt, but that's, that, that, that one tests me. (laughs) It does. And I think, you know, one of the reasons I think the original version works so much better is you get the, you know, each, each Beatle has a line on the turnaround of the uh, ain't been around since, you know, when melody. Um, so you get a little bit of that variety and the difference of the vocal and the difference of the delivery and the humor comes through in those deliveries. And here you just don't get it. You get just Ringo repeating everything in the lowest possible voice. (laughs) So like (laughs) the magic is gone fairly quickly. So, so yeah, that's a, that's a steady number five for me. So number four, number four from the same album. Uh, it's the title track. I want to be Santa. Let's hear it, and then we'll talk about it. Okay. 
So I, I thought this song was, was kind of interesting. It was the title track. I'd heard it before. Um, I don't recall where, but it kind of has this somewhat sleazy 70s, almost throwback feel to some of his like mid 70s stuff with Harry Nelson that kind of gave me that cool vibe of those records even though it's not necessarily played so much like that, he's kind of doing more of a standard, like doom, kind of beat, which doesn't really fit that, but there's a cool kind of laid back feel to it. He's, you know, talking about, you know, wanting to be the person that, you know, delivers this love and joy, much like Santa Claus does. And that's kind of Ringo's role is being that jovial, you know, jolly uncle who, you know, is just there to make you happy. Um, and I thought it was actually a pretty pleasant melody. Like it, it, nothing really, it doesn't stick out super, you know, super well, but like it's pleasant enough as like a passing Christmas song. Um, and I thought, you know, it was something that I would add to a Christmas mix and not be mad if it came on. Right. Um, would I seek it out a ton? Maybe not, but I think it's a pleasant, uh, a pleasant effort and probably uh, the best, um, kind of original, you know, Ringo Christmas thing you might get. Yeah. I, I, I was blown away first by just how prosaic the lines are. It mm -hmm. was it, the, the, that the writing just lumbers along <laughs> as if it was written by a guy who has never sung a song in his life. Uh, I really was kind of startled by that. And then I was equal, almost as startled by the fact that he lands it. That yeah. if you're not listening to, that's a really clumsy way to phrase that thought. You know, it goes by pleasantly. Um, He's got that ability. Yeah. He can stick the landing on really awkward lyrics for some reason. And and as a whole, I found it charming. Partly, again, mm -hmm. I found I found the performance charming. And you were picking up seventies. I was hearing kind of a little bit of his version of. Um, McCartney's music hall stuff and McCartney's kind of, uh, sort of, yeah. you know, sort of sappy side. And it was, and, and again, and fortunately it's not so on the nose that you don't, it doesn't feel like an homage. It doesn't feel like a pastiche. Um, mm -hmm. but there's some of that in there. And, yeah. and since I've got some patience for that part outside of McCartney more than a lot of people, I don't argue with it. Um, so, yeah. so I was, so I was in general charmed and, and there's sort of a nice sort of, I, I, my, my notes, I have sonic twinkle and yeah, there's, there's something to it and I can't quite pinpoint what it is because the rest of the production on the tracks I listened to on that record is just kind of soulless and, you know, yeah. late nineties, rich guy yeah. pop, you know? Yeah. Uh, but there's something on this track that I thought was really kind of pleasant. Yeah, I, I thought I thought that he sounded very at home with himself on it. Where yeah. in the case of Christmas Time is Here, you couldn't, you you know, he had to be conscious of what had gone before. And mm -hmm. so, although I'm sure he took it confidently, <clears throat> there's still a level at which he is having to go and walk in other people's shoes. Uh, with, yeah. you know, which at his age and his stature has to be a really weird place to be. He sounds 100% secure and this, and this is his song, his way, and he sounds very comfortable in it. And 
that's something I kind of respond. I think in good songs and really good Christmas songs that you mm-hmm. really go for that after all Christmas music is sort of in general part of a good time. And you kind of like to hear the person singing, having a good time too. Yeah. You know, I think that raises a really good point about Ringo's solo work in general. Um, he has that run in the early to mid seventies where he's the one that's on top of the charts, you know, when the other guys aren't quite. And um, he doesn't write any of those songs. They're all, you know, they're either written by John or by George or by, you know, Harry Nilsson or uh, Bernie Taupin, like a variety of people, but, you know, Mark Bolin, but it doesn't feel labored. It doesn't feel self-conscious, even though he's singing someone else's songs, he feels normal. Like there's something that's cool and open about it. And that's why those songs work so well, I think. Um, you know, whether it's, you know, Photograph or Back Off Boogaloo or one of those. Um, but when you hit this stretch that he's kind of been in now, where I think his last like four albums have been about Liverpool or like reference Liverpool in the title, everything now is so meta and so self-referential. Nothing feels natural right. and comfortable. It feels like he's always trying to like make a statement about himself or who he, you know, or like, or his, what we see as himself. Right. Uh, and so none of it tends to land with me as a listener. It's just like, here's another thing that Ringo's putting out and okay. Yeah. Like I'll listen once maybe, but you know, I, there's just something about that lack of comfort. I think he has with, uh, with the idea of, of creating and exploring and being himself that I think, you know, keeps him from being on that same, uh, wavelength that like i hate to say that mccartney has stayed on but like because i mean that's a whole different comparison but it it, none of it feels essential no you know yeah i I have to admit i checked out with the all-star band because it was one of those things i in general am kind of allergic to all-star bands whether his or Mm -hmm. any of them because they so often end up feeling like for, from our side, we're supposed to just love the fact that this lineup is on the field. And right. I understand at his side wanting to play with all these musicians. I, you know, like being able to play with the best musicians you can find, yes, I think that would be pretty awesome. Yeah, sure. Um, but at my side, a bunch of really good musicians playing really commonplace songs in really kind of conventional ways, but well, is not better than hearing a bunch of conventional songs played conventionally. Yeah, no, I'm totally with you on that. Completely with you. So number but three. Yeah, so number three, uh, we're going to switch over to George Harrison with Ding Dong, Ding Dong. Two. Okay, 
Tell me about Ding Dong Ding Dong. So Ding Dong Ding Dong, uh, it's it's kind of a roundabout holiday song. It doesn't get a ton of play as a holiday song here. It's certainly not seen as like a classic. Um, it's, if anything, more of a New Year's type song. But I do tend to hear it, especially nowadays with the advent of satellite radio and internet radio, I do hear it more on holiday stations. Um, it's a song that was on his Dark Horse album uh, from 1975. And he wrote it with the kind of the idea of celebrating the idea of a fresh start, you know, ring out, ring out the old, ring in the new. Um, it turns out the words to this song were literally carved into the fireplace at his Friar Park estate on one, I think on the left side, you had carved into the wood, ring out the old, ring in the new. And on the left, on the right side was uh, ring out the false, ring in the true. And then, um, so all, and then the, the bridge section came from another carving at another part of the estate. And he'd stared at these things for years and just thought they were, you know, really nice statements. And then one day it just kind of clicked. And this all kind of coincides with, um, him finally getting the divorce from Patty Boyd, formally signing the agreement to dissolve the Beatles partnership. So very much starting fresh. Um, but there's a great feeling to the song. You know, it's the simple melody of the doorbell. Dun, 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 which McCartney ends up using as well on his own for uh, let, him uh, in. let him in. But, um, I, you know, it's one of those things, you know, George isn't always known for the most positive uplifting of sentiments he can be kind of dour he can be kind of negative um so to hear him singing this kind of like fresh start positive happy thing uh is a really pleasant feeling a really pleasant vibe to enjoy towards the end of the year where you're getting to that point of wrapping up whatever's been behind you and starting to look ahead to the future um and i really enjoy that and the more i hear it in the context of christmas and of the holidays, the more it really strikes, like strikes that chord with me and, and sits well in that category. Yeah. Um, I'm docking a few points because it's that part of his career where he's doing a lot of cocaine and partying because he's single and his voice is struggling. That whole record, his voice is just kind of wrecked um, and it's hoarse and scratchy, but it's not that bad on this song, but it's not that voice that you had gotten so strong up until then. But otherwise, you know, I think it's a really nice entry. Um, I would have liked to see, I would have liked to have seen what he would have done had he tried to do more holiday themed things. But also I feel like the holidays, you know, Chris, he's, you know, he, I don't know that Christmas was his thing. I don't know how he celebrated Christmas, you know, once he was, you know, fully into, you know, practicing Hindu, you know, he, they may not have celebrated Christmas at his house. I don't know. Yeah. But yeah, I think it's a great tune. I love it. Yeah. So for me, one of the curious factors of Ding Dong, and one of the reasons I probably never registered as a Christmas song, is because it never actually talks about Christmas. Uh, mm -hmm. I, it registers far more for me as a New Year's song, which may be part of sort of, because we associate ringing out the old year uh, right. as opposed to bringing out the old pre-Christmas time. But it is unquestionably. I heard the bells on Christmas Day. It's like, in retrospect, I get it. But that's mm -hmm. not where my mind went. Um, I have to admit, while I, you know, 
one thing I was thinking about is the Beatles really don't overwork their Christmas material. You know that yeah. uh, <laughs> say that with uh, Christmas time is here or uh, Christmas time is here again is maybe five lines. This is five lines. Uh, Wonderful yeah. <laughs> Christmas time doesn't work a lot harder. So um, that that struck me as interesting, and and I kind of like you. I found I don't know, but I found while listening to this, I found it impossible not to think about uh, George in Get Back, and a couple of conversations I was having with people today because, you know, on one hand, George looks, you know, as you say, you know, he that he's known to be sort of dour. And, uh, mm -hmm. you know, and he looks so wounded through the entire first two hours of uh, Get Back. But the thing I was wondering about afterwards was maybe he always looked a little wounded. Um, mm -hmm. And that that kind of that was his resting face was looking yeah. slightly damaged and, uh, and a little sad. And so there's no question that while you're watching it, that you really feel for him a lot of the time. Um, the point where McCartney is basically telling him to almost completely stop playing. Um, right. And so that was really painful. But at the same time, you could also, you could easily imagine that he looked the same way when he was ordering breakfast in the morning. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, that's possible. So I'm wondering how much of, you know, our response to him was just, that's the way he looks. And, yeah. um, in this case, Ring out the old ring in the new, as you say. It's a you know, it is a it's a great thought, and it's nice to have something like that, and it does feel optimistic. But as he in his case, it feels optimistic ish. Um, yeah, he, yeah. Optimistic ish is probably his most optimistic. Yeah, yeah. I would think right because I think he's very much of that idea of like you know the universe is going to do what, you know, whatever, you know, Krishna has planned for it. Uh, you know, you just do your best to be the best you can through it and that's it. Um, you know, so yeah, I can see optimistic, op optimistic ish being, you know, is 100%. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. But I do think it's a, it's a pleasant enough melody and there's a reason yeah. why that doorbell melody is stuck yeah. around for as long as it has. Yeah. Oh, I have to say though, it's another one where it's like that, that would not have hurt to have a, to have another forty five seconds to a minute shaved off it. Um, yeah, I don't. Uh, I have to. I have to say, right now, one of my uh, this week on my on my show that one of uh, in one segment I talked with Alexandra Scott, uh, singer about um, mm -hmm. two song two uh, Canadian or two Christmas songs by an Icelandic indie rock band called Dadi Freyr. Uh, and part of the things I love about these, both these songs is they both get in at under three minutes and almost everything they do gets done in under three minutes. Mm -hmm. And at three minutes, they are so efficient and you're done. And I'm really, am ready to hear them again. Yeah. And at the end of ding dong, ding dong, which I'm going to guess is three and a half towards four minutes. I'm, I'm good, but, it, yeah. but, but, I'm, <laughs> but on the other hand, I like, I will, put it in sort of, I, I have a, a file, a, um, uh, my spilt milk, uh, radio Christmas radio file on Spotify mm -hmm. that I publicize on my site because if people want basically the Christmas radio experience with more interesting music, here is more than 
20 hours of music so that you can get that experience and something I think is a little more interesting. I'll move mm-hmm. this into that file. Uh, nice. So, so I'm looking forward to hearing it again, but it's not something I will choose on a regular basis. Sure, sure. But that's a fair assessment, I think, of it. I'll take it. You're number two. All right, so now we're hitting the hot, the hot, the hot, but the, the hot beds here. Number two, I'm going with Paul McCartney's "Wonderful Christmas Time." The mood is right. The spirits up. We're here tonight. Ah, uh, so this one, God, people truly, truly hate this song. They genuinely despise it. I find that so fascinating. Um, and I'm always curious to know what it is that they hate about it. Uh, you know, it's such a, an interesting song in, in his catalog. Um, it's, you know, it's done at the start of the time when he's starting to play with synthesizers working on what's going to become McCartney too. Um, and so you get this kind of, it, it not that it, I don't, I don't even know if it sounds dated now because it's such an abnormal tone on the synth. So you get this kind of like dotted delay synth part um, that runs this kind of basic little four chord progression. And then this kind of rep- repetitive melody, you know, your verses are always da, 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 da. And then you get the simply having wonderful Christmas time. So you, like you said before, like there's not a ton of workshopping done on the lyrics and melody here. Um, but th- for me, there's always been something about this track that kind of feels like that, you know, twilight twinkle Northern star kind of uh, vibe. There's just something about it for me that it's, it's fun. It's uh it's got like a comforting thing to it. The melody is simple as it is. They're just, the melodies are so good. Like you can't not sing it. And I think that's part of the reason why it get why people hate it is because it just gets lodged right into your brain. Sure. And that's McCartney's bread and butter is the melody that gets lodged into your brain. And when it's paired with the lyric is simple and, you know, almost stupid as simply having a wonderful Christmas time. I think people push back against that. Um, but I absolutely love this song. I think it's an example of his ability to take the most, you know, small and simple of ideas and turn them into something really, really fun and really great. Uh, And this is one that, you know, covers of it are almost always really good, whether you change the style or the genre. I know we've talked in the past about like the version that my band did. That's kind of like a pop rock, like a a rock version of it. Um, the, The Shins have done a great version of it. Mickey Dolan's did a really cool acoustic kind of version of it on the last on this Monkey's Christmas record. Um, Pentatonics have done it. Like anyone can do this. It can be an R and B song. You know, it's just it's a malleable thing uh, that can work in any genre, and that's kind of I think one of the cool hallmarks of a lot of Christmas songs that are the really great ones that can be done in different genres um, that can have that kind of universal appeal to everybody. Um, and you know, and the simplicity of this and the weird sense on this do not bug me at all. Maybe it's because I'm like a hardcore Beatle nerd, but I adore this song completely. It's one of my probably top five Christmas songs. Right. 
I'm with you. I don't have an issue with it. And in fact, there are things I like about it more than a lot of McCartney songs. I often find lyrically McCartney tends to over explain. Um, mm-hmm. There's no thought that he cannot absolutely 100% make sure you get. Um, yeah. And in this case, that it's written like a postcard. That and, and with that, the postcard grammar dropping out, the, uh, yeah. dropping out like the pr- dropping out a pronoun at the beginning of the sentence. Not we're having a wonderful, but it's like simply having a wonderful Christmas time. Wish you were, you know, next line, wish you were here. And, yeah. um, and, and I, and so that appeals to me the idea of McCartney sort of working in fragmented thought and working in snapshots is yeah. not a very McCartney way to work. So that interests me. Um, that the synth, um, I'm a little surprised the synth still pisses people off because, like, that, uh, you know, at the time, it was a, a new sound for a lot of people. And I get it at the time when people wanted a rock sound to get, at the, with the point when keyboards were the, op, were the enemy of rock and mm-hmm. roll, that I could see people getting wound by a synth, especially a synth not being used to replace uh, a bank of strings or something like that. But a synth to sound like a weird squiggle uh, yeah. is... To I be the see, whole song. Yeah. To be the whole track. Right. Yeah. Um, the, uh, but for me, like now that has, that's a sound that has now kind of become kind of retro appeal, uh, retro mm-hmm. appealing. Uh, and so... Um, I have no issues with that. Um, I think one of the things that probably annoys people is how much money for how little work McCartney does on that one. Um, yeah, I, yeah. I read that in 2010, he made more than $400,000 a year between yep. sales, airplay, and covers royalties. So yeah. um, That's absurd. I yeah. mean, yeah, for so little work. And I, I think that total is probably higher now because now it gets licensed a lot more sure. for commercials. So he's got to be making upwards of a million dollars a year just on this one little repetitive yeah. song every year. But I have to say, I now, again, having watched Get Back and watching McCartney try to wrestle a song to the ground, uh, that I kind of like the fact that he doesn't sound like he's working this hard. Uh, like, in yeah. the, you know, I just, again, I'm, again, I'm sure it will get better, but... I, you know, I found it really interesting watching him work and there are so, and, and in the first two hours, so many of the ideas are so overdetermined, um, mm-hmm. or saw ideas he brought to the, brought to the group too quickly. And so he's got them trying to figure out the song when he doesn't even know what it is yet. Not just the lyrics, but he doesn't yeah. even know the structure of it yet. And, uh, right. that, and so kind of with that working kind of desperately and fruitlessly on one side, I have to say listening to him just kind of walk in and, uh, and us hearing this completely nailed down, uh, thought that sounds like, like sort of just the right amount of work is very appealing. And that's one of the cool things about the, this, the scene in, in get back where you watch him actually come up with get back. And you see him kind of come up with the idea and he's got the, the groove for it. And he's just searching for some kind of melody and he's throwing out different ideas. And it's kind of like watching a sculptor with just like a solid piece of rock. 
just right. start to slowly chisel away at all the other discarded parts that you don't need right. until you have this thing. So I, I've got to wonder, you know, I, I, I would love to know what were the other ideas that were on this track at different points in time? Uh, was there a guitar part to it? Was there a different vocal? Was there a bridge? Like, I can't think that it's just this. There's, sure. it's, there's, with him, there's got to have been more. And I would love to know, like, what did you discard that, you know, that wasn't, you know, appropriate for? I would love yeah. to hear that at some point. You know, there, this has to have started on either, most likely started on a piano, but if not started on mm -hmm. a piano, then an acoustic guitar. It did not start yeah. with bleep, bloop, bleep, bloop on the, uh, on the synth. Yeah. But in the same time, I think maybe it did, because I think he was at a point where, you know, he was just kind of experimenting with things. And that's what kind of triggered a lot of the songs from that point was just like the kind of excitement of hearing this new sound and making it do this thing. And then you kind of find a little progression and like that keyboard part of his brain pops in that pianist part. And that's where he starts to come up with these chord changes. And then the melody comes in because he just tosses off a melody off the top of his head. Um, so I don't know. I, I'm not sure how he came up with it, but yeah. I also think, I'd love to hear him just play it on piano. It would be great because he's a great piano player yeah. and just hearing him sing it would be lovely. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. All right. And that kind of leaves number one to be a little bit obvious, but go ahead. And number one is? Number one is the obvious. It is my Christmas number one every year. Happy Christmas War is Over by John Lennon and Yoko Ono. So this is Christmas. And what have you done? Another year over And you won't just be gone And so this is Christmas This is the one for me, man. This is probably the Christmas song I start out my holiday uh, awareness with every year. It doesn't quite feel like it's Christmas for me uh, until I hear this song. I think it's a really interesting tune. Um, it's, you know, he's obviously reaching for an anthem with it um, and he succeeds with it, but it feel, it doesn't feel like anything else he's done before. It doesn't feel like anything that he's done around that time on Plastic Ono Band. It doesn't necessarily feel like anything that's coming up on Imagine. Um, it has that Phil Spector thing to it, but it's not completely, completely washed in Phil Spector. Um, the melody is simultaneously, you know, melancholy and hopeful. Um, you know, there's his vocal delivery is just, it's such a sweet spot for him vocally. You know, he's in just like that kind of nice, like comforting start place when he starts. And then as the key changes, he can get in bit into a bit more of that like gritty part. And then, you know, when you get to the chorus and you've got, you know, Yoko leading this children's choir, it, it's fantastic. Uh, and it's the kind of thing that never fails to give me chills the first time I hear it for the, the holiday season. Um, you know, if, you're, if you've got the holiday doldrums, it's a comforting song to listen to. If you've got the excitement of the holiday building up, it's perfect for that, too. Um, I, you know, I think it's something I've got... I've got to feel like when he wrote this, he was feeling a new sense of, of, of freedom creatively, probably also a bit of melancholy with how things have ended with the Beatles. Um, 
you know, and looking forward to, you know, another year over, a new one's just begun, you know, where do we go from here? You know, we can do anything. We can make our own music from now on. You know, we can end war. If we choose to do this, you know, we can, you know, solve all these problems if we all choose to do it together. And togetherness is, you know, kind of the crux of the idea of Christmas. And I think he completely nails it on this song. I, this is, I don't think I've ever heard a cover of this song that I've enjoyed nearly as much as I've enjoyed the original or as much as I've enjoyed a cover of Wonderful Christmas Time. Right. Um, I tend to not ever want to hear a cover of this song because it's either overwrought or just, it never has that same, the sentiment is never there. Um, and for a guy who doesn't always trade in like real heartfelt son- sentiment and can be kind of like gruff, or, you know, rough around the edges, I think this is a really like vulnerable um, place of him to kind of let the listener into wherever he was feeling at the time that he wrote this. And this is just a knockout song for me. I, even if this wasn't a Christmas song, you know, even if it was, you know, happy, you know, birthday, I mean, whatever it is, just the, the track is fantastic. The, whole, the production on it is great. The writing on it is fantastic. I adore this song so much. There's, there's a lot in here that I really like. I have to admit this is a song that I loved when I first heard it, uh, in part because it was often one of the few rock and roll songs that would show up in around Christmas time on the radio, and mm-hmm. so it was always kind of like, "Here's my, you know, here's you know, here's a, a moment of my music coming through," and that was right. always great. And then there's a point when I thought this is hippie shit, and so <laughs> um, so I kind of went off it for a while and it was a little too, you know, a little too kumbaya. As time has passed, what I've really engaged with is the complexity of it. Um, and one of the mm-hmm. reasons I think covers rarely work. Um, I like the polyphonic sprees version, but that's because they can do the big. Um, yeah. Last year, uh, Calexico did it. And Joey Burns of Calexico sings it. I mean, he was really excited to have done it and really believes profoundly in the song and mm-hmm. I and the sentiment, and I appreciated that. But one of the things I love about the song is that despite the happy Christmas and the assertion war is over, right in the middle of that thought is a great big if. And that yeah. makes it that makes all of the happiness and all the, all the sense of possibility guarded. And, and as you say, but it also makes it real. It also makes it real because it's not just like it's Christmas time and everything is peaceful. It's like, no, this could happen. If you were to, to, to believe this, if you were to action on this. And I think that maybe makes it a bit more realistic. Yeah. I'm not so sure here, but because also part of that, struck me as very, as, as very Yoko. And I was thinking, mm-hmm. you know, her book, uh, Grapefruit, the mm-hmm. book of poems that are essentially um, sort of magical thinking exercises. And, and this is that. Yeah. I can think, you know, I, I can want war to be over. They're fighting. Uh, we can right. want war to be over. They're fighting. Everyone we know can want war to be over. They're still fighting. I'm not sure that I buy this unless, you know, or, you know, I'm not that, but at the same time, I, that I love the thought and I love the sense of possibility. Um, mm-hmm. and I like, and it's very clear in this performance, he 
200% believes it. Yoko yeah. 200% believes it. And, and it's a great use of a kid's choir to go ahead and For sonically sure. play that out, play out. Here's a mm-hmm. sense of, you know, here's the, here are the stakes. These kids are the stakes. And right. so that's all pretty astonishing. Uh, so I'm there and I got to tell you the two things I, th- one thing I was, I didn't pick up until literally prepping for our conversation is, is I'm, I'm always a little bit struck by the sort of the, the, the tentativeness that the lyric suggests, but after the, after sort of the applause at the end, which is usually if you hear it on the radio where you get a fade, mm-hmm. um, that after that, there's about another eight seconds of the kids from the choir yelling happy Christmas, Merry Christmas. And there's nothing tentative in their enthusiasm. Yeah. There's nothing tentative in their, in their, in their good cheer. And that to me is really kind of lands this in a really sweet place. Um, and, and it almost by itself justifies the, um, the, the kids choir because they do something that neither John or Yoko can do that by the, by this point, neither of them can speak with that kind of just kind of innocent excitement and innocent good cheer. And the enthusiasm at that, at that end is a really sort of sweet place to land this song. So, um, and I, and I, and I have to admit, I'd say I hadn't heard that until getting ready for today. I've often wished that somebody would would reach out and talk to or interview, you know, one of the children, you know, adults now, obviously, but somebody who was there that was involved in that to kind of get their recollection. Because I think they were between like eight and 12. I think it's the Harlem Boys Choir. Um, You know, they're at that age where they probably remember that kind of thing at this point in time but I don't know that anyone's ever reached out to anybody or like reached out to like who was the choir leader that, you know, facilitated it with John and Yoko. Like I would love to hear some tales from that. Cause that's a, that's a session that's not really well reported on. And I think it's a standalone session. It's not in the middle of anything else. I think it was a, something he wrote and then was like, we got to do this now. Like if we need this out for the holidays, this has to be out now. Um, so it's a hastily assembled uh, record, but I would I would love to hear some recollections of what it was like for them because you, like you said, like they feel it, they uh, they buy it, and they and they sell it, and that makes the record so great. Yeah. That's one of the things that absolutely kills that record. Yeah. So yeah, it was funny. The um, unfortunately the piece has been taken down a, a number of years ago. That uh, a writer at USA Today had slagged both Wonderful Christmas Time and Happy Christmas War is Over. Um, and basically with the idea that these are beneath the Beatles, that Beatles are better songwriter than these, songwriters than these songs. Uh, and I say, I'm not sure I agree in either case, actually. I think that's, yeah. I think you're working with a very kind of Beatles, Beatles definition. You know, that is, yeah. if, if that, you know, that be, that it's something that would have made sense between Abbey between Revolver and Abbey Road. Okay, that's you know that's what the Beatles are. It's like I think is you know they actually turned thirty. Maybe their writing might change and develop 
go figure yeah. yourself. <laughs> yeah, well, and that's the thing I think a lot of people tend to overlook is that, you know, there was a point in time when, when the Beatles realized that the Beatles could be anything they wanted it to be. Uh, and it was about, you know, the the will to play with the idea of what is, you know, what is a song? What is a Beatles song? Uh, what is a John, Paul, George, Ringo song? Um, and they could kind of just do what they want with that. And some people, I think, expect everything has to be, you know, side two of Abbey Road or it's absolute crap. And uh, I, for one, have never bought that. I love the idea that, you know, a Beatles song can be Love Me Do or it can be Revolution Not. You know, and a- any and all spots in between are total fair game. That's what I think makes them so successful and has made them, uh, you know, continually su- continually successful over the years is there's no ends of the earth that they aren't willing to go to yeah. to follow the creative muse. So no. that guy was wrong. <laughs> Thanks to Jonathan for the time and the talk. Now we have to think about what to do next year. If you've got ideas or thoughts about these songs, I'd love to hear them at Facebook at 12 Songs of Christmas, or you can write me at alex at myspiltmilk.com. I still have my listeners-only Christmas mix available for download. Write me again at that address, alex at myspiltmilk.com, and I'll shoot it over. Thanks to car-floats.com for their sponsorship, and thanks to you for listening. If you haven't already done so, follow, like, subscribe, or do what you have to do to get 12 songs in your podcast feed. If you're an Apple person, I'd love a five-star review. All those things help the algorithms work in our favor. Earlier, we talked about Ringo's version of Christmas Time is Here Again. The Beatles version was finally released for sale in 1995, as the B-side of the Free as a Bird single. Since Jonathan and I are both like the original better, here it is so you can hear what we're talking about. Talk to you next week. It's a dance here he makes page 444.